Society Podcast. This is Franz Bonin. This is Trav Weeks. Sir, and with another installation of the Driven Society Podcast, and we have a wonderful, esteemed guest. He is a senator from the great state of New York, representing the 30th District. And for those who don't know, that is Harlem, East Harlem, and the Upper West Side. Uh, yep. Shout out to Gristides. <laughs> uh, but yes, we have the uh, Honorable Senator Brian Benjamin. Thank you, guys. Yes, happy to be on. Happy to be on, and happy for this conversation to take place. For sure, there's 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 a lot that we'd like to you know um, speak to you about, and we want to be for sure respectful of your time. So uh, forgive us if if there's any brevity. Um, but you know, right off the bat, can you uh, tell us how you got started? What was your initial foray into the uh, uh, political sphere? Yeah, so I was, um, I was actually born, like right where I sit right now in my office, I can see Harlem Hospital, which is where I was born um, 43 years ago. I'm 43. And, uh, you know, it always reminds me of my mom coming here as an immigrant. Uh, she didn't have much, came here with two suitcases. Um, actually, she had me at Harlem Hospital, she didn't have health insurance. And she, it was just the love of the people who said, you know, we'll take care of her, even though we know she doesn't have health insurance. And that's what got me here. And, um, you know, I always remember that when I am doing criminal justice reform or police reform or uh, uh, health reform, uh, affordable housing, that, you know, there, there are people out there who are unfortunate, um, who don't have health insurance, who don't have resources, but they deserve a chance at life and they deserve a chance for the American dream. And so I try to wake up every day to make sure I do that. So that's really how it all got started. Um, but, you know, I spent... My early years, my mom worked at DC 37. Um, my stepdad worked at 32 BJ. I grew up sort of going to union rallies and conferences. And I remember seeing Jesse Jackson at a Democratic convention when I was like eight, trying to understand why everybody's crying and whatnot. Um, and, you know, it was just, um, I just grew, grew up in politics and public service and government. And so it was only inevitable that as I got later in life, I, I just, and then Obama ran for president. And one thing led to the next, and I was, I, was, I was on my way. But, you know, I went to Brown undergrad where I majored in public policy, and I was very interested in that. And I went to Harvard for business school and sort of spent a couple of years in business. But then after Obama ran, it just really sort of started transitioning. And I spent time in Harlem on the community board, working on local elections um, uh, and building affordable housing in the neighborhood and in the community. And uh, an opportunity opened up in 2017 for state senate, and I ran for it, and and here I am. I mean, there's there's a lot that's in between that, but I just want to give you that that sort of uh, high level on how I got here. For yeah. sure, that's a, um interesting um because I when I was reading up about you, I, I read that aspect of you know you being Caribbean, and um, we can relate. Both um me and Franz are too, and I I was wondering what does that you know because you were able to. Um, go out to a certain college and then get in your um, MBA, going to you know, get the, going to business school at Harvard. Did your Caribbean upbringing, parents, did that have? How did that contribute to your overall just growth? You know, I think you know my my mom always told me growing up, you gotta be twice as good, you gotta work twice as hard. Yep. Uh, and you know, she came from a country where black people oppressed black people, right? So she didn't have the the sort of white on black kind of mantra that drove everything. I was like, listen, it's either either you are Either you're at the bottom or you're at the or you're at the top or in the middle. And and so yeah. I just I just never grew up like some of my some of my friends really grew up 
you know, in sort of um, homes where they grew up in the United States, right? And they had to, and they had parents who dealt with some things that my parents just didn't deal with, right? And so that wasn't infused in me in the way it, it, it has been for some of my some of my friends. And and so I just didn't grow up with this sort of white people or the devil, fair white people kind of a, a situation. It was just like, listen, either yeah. you have it or you don't, and mm -hmm. you're gonna work for it or you not, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, you know, as I you know, uh, grown older and started getting myself in the movement and being around friends from the NAACP and National Action Network and et cetera, et cetera, and really sort of being around friends who grew up in African-American households that I started to get more sort of, sort of, um, you know, uh, acclimated to the idea, oh, wow, yeah, that makes sense, right? I mean, if I, if I grew up with my dad was saying, don't trust this one, don't trust that one, don't trust, that that right. would have an impact on how I would see life. And so, um, I definitely, you know, I have my issues with the police and et cetera, et cetera. But I do think, you know, growing up for me, it was like, play by the rules, work hard. And if you do that, you'll have an opportunity. And so I absolutely, just, I kind of rolled with it. Yeah, because I realized um, when you came back, because you worked in the finance industry. I did. And then when you came back, you, one of the first, one of your, it seems like one of your first uh, agendas, initiatives was to work on affordable homes. That's right. And what I find interesting is that, like, when you, once, especially black people or millennials, when we when we tap into the the world of the finance game, it's it, it really opens up your mind to understand how this capitalistic society works. It's almost like when I experienced that, and me and Franz talk about this all the time. We talk about different industries from crypto to the stock market right. or whatnot. But when I experienced how wealth is being built and made through these markets or whatnot, I'm like, oh my god, like where was this information like how would i even i had to go out and search and dig for that information it wasn't in schools or anything when i learned about real estate how that equates to wealth or when i learned about land or whatever when i learned about certain investments stocks bonds or whatnot what did that finance background how did that also contribute to when you came back the first thing you wanted to work in is affordable homes what did that what was that information there that led you to this point well, you know, it's, it's, uh, you almost took me on another road, but I'm going to stay with where, where your question is. Uh, you know, for me, coming out of finance, you know, I, it really made, made it loud and clear for me that, like, a lot of things I want to do are development projects, right? And development projects mm. need to have, need to finance something, right? So mm. um, building affordable housing, which is so important, and also renovating homes for folks and, who are, are formerly homeless or low-income, to me, that was such a big need that I, that I felt like I can take my, my skills, my finance skills, and not just be talking about mergers and acquisitions for people I don't care about, but I can be creating development budgets and mm -hmm. you know going in and out of Excel spreadsheets, making sure that the sources and the uses match up to make sure that there's good quality housing in my community for my people, right? And so mm -hmm. I just like I just am able, I'm able to talk at a, on a range of levels and a range of settings. Um, because of that finance background, because at the end of the day, a lot of that language is discriminatory. And what, what I mean by that is mm. you could be in settings and people will start using language to separate you from the wealth, separate mm. you from the, the access to uh, resources that just by using that language, people know, oh, okay, so you're one of us. Okay, so then we're going to give our money to you. Mm. Um, and so... There's a, there's a lot of that that we try to that I try to break down to be like listen 
this stuff ain't that complicated. It's just language that's being used for basics, right? Got it's it. still about five has to equal five. If it costs $5, you still got to have $5. Now, the way in which the $5 is talked about on each side, that's where, and obviously it's more than five, but you know what I'm saying? That's mm -hmm. where you got to, we have to be very clear, especially in those kind of conversations, like, okay, wait a minute. I know that's a fancy word for something basic. Let me just make sure that it, common sense works for me. Because I know a lot of folks mm -hmm. who are artists, people who have money, who go and trust their money with people, who give them a whole lot of fancy rhetoric, but at the end of the day, it's real basic. Right? Yep. Uh, I gave you a million dollars. I need that a million dollars to still be here plus something else, right? Yeah. Uh, and so um, Simple. I, I, have, I have, I'm able to, as an elected official, a lot of times a lot of, uh, you know, folks deal with elected officials who don't know finance and they try mm -hmm. to use fancy words. I'm like, wait, wait, no, no, no. Don't try to go Call there. I go right there with you. Just come back yep. here. Let's talk common sense, right? Yep. And so I'm chair of the Budget and Revenues Committee in the Senate and I raise money and I do all those things, but it's because I can, I can speak this language that it's kind of language of high finance that certain, it's kind of like that certain people in society use to, you know, keep control of, of the money. Absolutely. Um, so I try to break that, I try to break that down and try to make sure that people are accessible. And that's why you look at a lot of the, um, the hip hop artists, et cetera, right? Like they just making money, right? Cause it's, it's still basic. Right? Mm -hmm. It's like it's like okay, it cost me, you know, three dollars to make this song. Okay, and I sell it to a hundred people. Okay, I cost three. I got right, and so that's yeah. where I think I think that um, I I just feel confident in my abilities to do that, and I love public service. Like I could be out making millions doing you know the, the, the other stuff, but I just love what I'm doing, and so I, I do this because I choose to. Yeah. Got it. That's so, tremendous, and you know, even to that point. Um, Earlier, Travis and I were, you know, game planning for this conversation, and he mentioned Soha. Mm -hmm. um, and and it's, it's interesting that you, you know, the, the conversation kind of meandered to this point because cultural language now becomes the, what's on, what's on the, the menu, right? Um, you know, people who have been speaking and thinking a certain way and, you know, uh, the, the whole identity is embodied in this piece of real estate. And now all of a sudden you have individuals who speak a completely different language, right? How, how do you bridge the gap between being progressive but still maintaining the culture or, or, or at least the essence of, because there's a rub, right? Like you want to be able to, um, you know, move the neighborhoods forward in, in this direction, but at the same time, you don't want to have like a wheat and chaff kind of situation. Right. Well, talk to us about that challenge. Yeah, I, you know, for me, I always look at it as I want to respect and protect the culture that created the environment that people want to gentrify. I mean, I use the word gentrify. I got your, I think you use gentrify and progressive similarly, but I understand. Uh, uh, for me, the ultimate issue boils down to uh, can we create a, 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 a Harlem, for example, that everyone can appreciate, right? And, you know, I, I'm one of those people who believe that we shouldn't have um, new people in, in a community. I just believe that the folks who have been here and made the place where it is have and deserve a right to be here uh, for sure. And that as we talk about, you know, sort of environments changing and new people coming in and progress happening, because let's guess what? 
people didn't want to be not be able to walk down the street safely, right? People wanted to be able to go to the corner and have access to different eating options that are healthy and access to services. So people want that and you, and you should want that for your community, but you should not want that at the expense of the people who have probably made the community what it is. And so one of the things when you say use the word so hot, it was so it was so crazy was that Harlem is Harlem. If you don't move to Harlem because you want to be a part of Harlem, part of Harlem's culture, then you go exactly. to Exactly. Don't, don't come here trying to change Harlem. Yeah, go to Soho. <laughs> we don't need you to do so hot. Go to Soho, right? Exactly. That, that already exists. And so mm-hmm. for me, you know what? I'm all for brothers who, you know, went to school and did all the right things or sisters did all the right things and they can afford a nicer uh, penthouse in Harlem but be part of the culture, be part of the, the spirit of what we are and help pay taxes that help educate our kids, right? It's all, but when you come and you now wanna say, oh, let me, oh, I don't like the word Harlem because Harlem signifies certain things that I don't be associated with. Let me just take this part of it and change the name. I'm not down with that. So we were very aggressive. Um, you know, we made life a living hell for, for the folks who were trying to do the so hard thing. And um, I introduced a bill and, and I had just gotten, I literally just got elected in 2017 and wow. this whole Soha movement was picking up. And I was like, oh, hell no. We had uh, protests right in front of the, um, the real estate uh, broker who was, who was, uh, it was, I think it was, they were called Soha, Soha something. I mean, like literally Soha was in the name of the brokerage firm. And we mm-hmm. were right in front of their office. I was, wow. we just, we killed that. They, they took off Soha so fast. Because listen, most people in business want to make, they want to make money. They, they don't want to be fighting with, you know, yeah. uh, activists yeah, yeah, yeah. and Black Panthers and all that. They were like, yeah. we want nothing to do with this new guy. Let's okay. just, let's just drop this so hot thing. And so. That's crazy. Um, that's, that's, some, that's dope though. That's what I mean. Cause I remember hearing about that. I'm like, I remember this about to be the change. I didn't know exactly who was the one that, that killed all that noise. So yeah. salute. And yeah. we appreciate was, that. <laughs> and part of it was just, you know, I'm an organizer, right? Like, I mean, mm. even when you talk about business, right? When I talk about building affordable housing, it's organizing, right? It's like, okay, we need to raise a hundred million dollars. Okay, how are we gonna do it? We gotta call this one, gotta call that one. It's organizing. So I just mm. use those things, organizing skills on this. It's like, okay, who is not down with Soha? Okay. NAACP, uh, I got, I, I know all my black militants. I'm, I got them on speed dial. Hey, we only want 15th and 8th. Oh, we'll be there. What time? Then I introduced the bill. Right, you, it's all, and then I had like a, a it was like a campaign. And so hmm. we just started executing the campaign. And when these folks saw we were serious and that we were having thing, bam, 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 they're like, okay, no, boss, they're out, right? And that's how you got to do it sometimes. Sometimes you got to be, you got to be, you got to be professional gangster on some of these folks, you know? Oh. <laughs> And that's Absolutely. How exist. I know that sure. I know that game because we're in the corporate agency space, so I, I know how that um how that can go. So we we appreciate you doing that for sure. Um so yeah, with the um essence of time, I want to jump right into you know what's going on right now in the fight against injustice. Oh sure. And um um I like to talk about, you know, it's overall, you know, as, as a as a black man in your position, like, you know, what were your what were your feelings, thoughts, and like just reactions when we heard when you heard of George Floyd and, and, and um, how he was senselessly killed and um, in politics, uh, just how your mind works, what, what was just your thoughts and your next steps to do to, to, to spark change? Sure, so when, when I first saw, well, first of all, let me be very honest, I could not watch the whole video, so let's start with that. Same. But, but, when I first, but when I first was aware of uh, the George Floyd uh, murder, let's use the word murder, um, George Absolutely. Floyd murder, 
I was, I couldn't help but think about Eric Garner. I mean, I remember when Eric Garner happened, yep. and I saw that video, mm-hmm. and everybody was protesting. I said, right, we don't need to protest. We got the video, right? Yeah. So we had the video. I said, oh, well, that's a wrap. This dude is, this dude, we got video now. This ain't like he said, she said. Right. And watch that whole situation play itself out really kind of helped hit me to the injustices in the system. These police union contracts where they get where they they are able to get away with murder, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. Uh, that need to get revised. But then there's also some laws that had to get fixed. I actually ended up introducing a bill called the Eric Garner Anti Chokehold Act because one of the things with off one of the reasons why Officer Pantaleo is not in jail today is because even though he implemented the chokehold, which was an illegal maneuver per the NYPD's um, um, guidelines, it was mm-hmm. not a criminal activity. And so because it wasn't identified in the penal code, something that was illegal for him to do, it was hard to get the criminal uh, 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 justice that we needed because the jury said, well, they didn't feel like it was strangulation, which is, which is the, the, what was the most relevant um, um, offense that it could have used, either strangulation or um, um, manslaughter or murder. And so they were like, yeah, he used the chokehold, but he wasn't really trying to strangle him. He wasn't trying to manslaughter or murder him. So therefore, they let him go. Now, six years later, he finally get, loses his job. So the only thing that has occurred to Pantaleo, he's lost his job. You know, we got a video, we got a family and, and trauma. So what mm. we did was introduce a bill that criminalized the chokehold or similar measure. So similar measure is knee to the neck. Anything that um, obstructs uh, the throat or the windpipe and makes it hard for breathing or air to come in, which can lead to ser- and leads to serious physical injury or death. So we created a new charge called aggravated strangulation, which is when a police officer, this is another thing, this is the first time we've ever introduced a bill where there's an enhanced penalty and the, the sole person who can be penalized are police officers. A police officer implements um, a chokehold or similar restraint based on what I was telling you before, that they would be subject up to 15 years in prison, a class C violent felony. Uh, we got that bill. So that bill was ready to go. We had um, the, a bill to repeal 50A, which, which sort of tracks um, disciplinary records of the police. We had a bunch of bills ready to go, but we didn't have the political will to get the, to get the bills passed. So when George Floyd happened and the world erupted in protest, that gave us that extra oomph mm. that we needed to pass a suite of bills, including mine, um, that really um, um, got us to where we are now. I mean, I remember before George Floyd happened, we had the Central Park case. You remember, you know, Amy Cooper, the, the white yes. woman with the oh, cell yeah. phone? Yeah. Yep. And yep. that, and I was like, oh, hell no. So we went in, um, we had a bill to make, you know, race-based 911 calling a hate crime. And then yep. we had another nice. bill that made it a civil penalty. So we, we already started moving on that. Next thing you know, we didn't get hit with George Floyd. It was like, and we got COVID happening at the same time. It's just like a mental it's health crazy. disaster we're dealing with right now, right? And yeah, so man. we got, fortunately, we got a number of those bills passed. My bill got passed. Um, we had on um, this past Saturday, a community bill signing. Eric Garner's mother, Gwen Carr was out there. His daughter, Emerald Snipes Garner was out there. We had a bunch of community leaders and folks out there 
to celebrate the signing. We, you know, we did a whole thing. And what I committed to doing with Emerald Garner uh, is we're going to look to take that national. Uh, I know um, mm. that we heard this, this, this silly thing that, that the president did where he kind of has an executive order that doesn't really do anything. So yep. we're trying to, what we're going to do is go state by state and particularly states that have democratic legislatures and democratic governors. So they're very similar to New York and try to get this, this bill passed out there as well so we can, you know, help, help provide more safety. Because listen, man, like chokeholds, knees to the neck, all that stuff, whenever you put in that kind of pressure and obstructing blood circulation to the brain, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just crazy. I mean, we're, there's no, when do they ever have to do that, right? So, and so accountability is an important issue, something that we're working on and we want to make sure we get accomplished. And so I'm just, I'm just fighting for all of that. So it's, it's, uh, it, it feels good to be a part of trying to help protect your people and, um, and police reform is, is an important thing. But in politics, a lot of times, context matters, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, a tragedy happens and then we act. Ideally, it wouldn't have to be that way, but sometimes right. that's yeah. how it is. It's so interesting that, you know, it literally has to be like earth shattering yeah, for things to, to move forward, you know, right. and uh, in, in, all the, in all the sadness and grief, you know, that's, uh, I don't want to even use a, the term silver lining, but, you know, I, I just, I'll say other side of the coin, you know, yeah. is that there's an opportunity for, you know, a move forward. But even in, even, um, I just want to kind of spend a little bit of time here, you know, when you alluded to it, you were saying that when you're talking to the juries and stuff, a lot of this comes down to the interpretation of the law. How, and usually when it comes to, you know, um, criminal offense, uh, especially murder, manslaughter, what have have you, intent is usually the thing. So where, where does intent, fit in in these bills or where do they have any coverage um or or not coverage how how does that work so typically um when you look at um the different levels of crime so like you have murder in the first degree or murder in the second degree or murder in the third degree um the what makes the higher charges occur is intent right so to, so if you recklessly kill someone that's considered a lesser charge than if you had the intent to kill someone. So for example, right now we're looking in with the with the case in Minneapolis, people are trying to figure out, did uh, the, the police officer have the intent to kill um, uh, um, um, uh, George Floyd? And they're trying to get it, they're trying to look into this background about whether or not they worked together and did was there issues. People are trying to find that out. Because mm. was this just a Oops I, didn't, oops, I didn't mean to kill you, which, by the way, is ridiculous. He clearly meant to kill him. Eight minutes, 46 seconds, he meant to kill him. Man um, screaming or, for his or life. He, or he, without question, didn't care if he killed him or not. So, there's, yeah. so there is, there's, there's all these, I'm not a lawyer, so there's all these different things. What, what the, the, the important piece of the bill that at least I passed was we didn't want to have to deal with intent. We wanted to have to deal with just take out all discretion. Chokehold, similar restraint, that does that that applies this pressure. If you do it, that's it. We don't want. We don't care why you did it. We don't care if you intended to or didn't intend to. We wrote this law that if you do X, this is the consequence. Um, right. The only the only 
um, uh, a recourse that they have, which is what they have, which is what police officers have with any situation, is that their they can make a defense in court was they applied the chokehold because the life of someone else was in danger, their life was in danger. So it was it was a either my life. So it was that kind of situation. Now there are some concerns about talking about the life, them feeling like their life is in danger, someone else's life is in, in, is in danger, because that can't be too subjective, because then you have that problem, right. right? It's just like, oh, he's a big black guy, I felt like my life was in danger, so therefore I killed him, right? So we, so that's something that we're dealing with, and that's a harder issue to, to try to get your arms around. Part of this is that we have to also deal with just dealing with juries and racism and how people think, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because some of this, we can legislate as much as we want, and we and there's important legislation that we're doing, but still at the fundamental end of this is, if you have inherent racism all across the system, we got to work on that still anyway, right? Because we, I don't know how you legislate that, but we can. But what we can legislate is police accountability, which forces a shift in their culture. So that police officers say, you know what, I'm gonna think twice before I do that. When we did a number of other important bills, one of the bills bill we, we did was to establish the civil rights of, of an individual to video the police in any kind, in any um, sort of physical interaction, right? Uh, and we and we try to put safeguards in there to make sure that police can't say to you, you don't have a right to video. Um, we like, no, 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 I do have a right. I there's a law that got passed, mm -hmm. right? So. Um, that's yep. of, that's sort of uh, uh, out there as well. I don't I don't want to pin this on you, but it, you know, listening to all your your efforts in, in these bills, there's kind of like a uh, you know a, a cultural significance to it. Like for example, the Amy Cooper, I thought immediately of Emmett Till, you know, mm -hmm. or just even when you have uh, you know the ensuring the citizens' right to be able to um, document the the police interaction i think of the black panthers and what they were doing you know first they pull up with the law books like officer you're not doing it right and then yeah, if he wasn't yeah, listening yeah 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 we got that trunk. <laughs> facts man no good i'm yeah. sorry good. yeah but but one one question um trav before uh i stop is in terms of uh citizen duty is there space for a citizen intermediary between the police and the the public as, as something, I, I don't want to go as far as say checks and balances, but you know, some somebody that could kind of uh, aggressively monitor. Listen, listen, you you are asking the right question. So one of the things we're talking about right now is is what does community policing actually look like? Mm. Um, and um, we do have some cure violence groups. Like when we were dealing with the social distancing, which was a big which was a big issue a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it's just like the word. A big issue was just like police. Uh, enforcing social distancing and you know arresting folks uptown and then giving out masks and coffee lattes downtown so we were dealing with that issue and one of the things that I kept pushing for was that we have these cure violence groups out here that are in the streets um, that know how to de-escalate and know uh, the streets we should be giving them money resourcing them and 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 working with them to some of these situations say hey you know what young guys you know young women you know you need to put this mask on you know what i mean as opposed to being the police showing up with the batons like i'm about to you know that's 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 first and foremost but i think we have to have a fundamental conversation around how we view the police and reimagine 
and redesign what that looks like. Because quite frankly, I know folks, I, I don't care what the issue is, they're calling the police, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want to say it, right? Someone sitting on my stoop, calling the police. You know, someone, look, you know, file, I feel like they found me on the street, call the police. The, the, the 911 and the 311 calls are off the charts, right? Oh, this now fireworks is the big crave going on right now. Oh my God. All the police. My neighbors my are killing is, me. <laughs> my point is, can we come up with and think about you know, other mechanics? You mentioned the Black Panthers. You know, I think about the the, the brothers from the from from the Nation of Islam, right? Like, can we can we have, you know, groups and I don't know the right structure that can that can sort of fill that void so people say, you know what, I don't gotta call the cops because we can handle that in our community. I know the, um, I was at a rally a couple of, maybe about two years ago at the state office building. I'm in my office right now. And there was literally about a thousand Africans out there, right? I mean, it was, and all men, it was just like, wow. And I said, and I I said, where are the police? And it was made clear to me, police don't come here because the, because the men police the situation themselves and have mm -hmm. the track record where the police know, you know what? This is their event. We don't. We know we're near because they handle and manage their own conflicts. We might need to sit down with them and talk about well, how do they do it? You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, like we gotta be, we gotta be bold and visionary and sort of like say, okay, well, where do we see what we want to have happen? And let's go talk to those people and have them help us design something that works. Uh, so that's so that's that's my thought, man. But that's but that's on us, you know, uh, to bring to us. Because if we don't want the police, you know, just coming and swinging first, asking questions later, then we need to have another situation where we don't call them first, right? Mm, yeah, uh, absolutely. And we, and we got our own um, kind of structures in place. So yeah, that, at the very end, I definitely believe we should like, like, like even an organization like us, the Driven Society, there's also organizations like CCNY who like, um, and a couple others out there who have like large audiences, like some of these organizations, like I know one that has a Juneteenth event and I know thousands of people are going to show up at a park mm -hmm. and they can do it just by like an Instagram post. And a lot of uh, millennials right now are like, you know, definitely mobilizing, even if we just had that relationship of like with a precinct or yeah. uh, um, or somebody that'd be like, okay, we're going to be here. Or if somebody gets out of line, like, yo, I know your supervisor. I know your sergeant. Put him on the line. Like some level that's of- right, That's right. That's right. Some relationship. We know exactly. I wanna, the governor just passed. Uh, he No, he just signed an executive order, which is basically his way of doing his own thing. He signed an executive order that basically says that he wants local uh, municipalities, basically cities, et cetera, to redesign and reimagine their police forces and provide, present a plan that includes community participation and input to the state by next year, or else there will be no state funding for those municipalities. So everybody's gonna do it, right? Mm -hmm. I wanna talk with you guys and some other people about what does community participation look like? I, like, it, it, community participation can't be 30 folks who show up to some meeting that no one knows about. We gotta, like, we should talk and be serious about, okay, I need, Everybody in the like, you know, all those folks who are marching on Juneteenth, how do we have them part of a conversation about what does what should policing look like? How do we do that? I think that's something that we should commit to doing together because, uh, you know, I need our government to reflect those who are most impacted with whatever the situation is, right? So the young black and black and brown men who are getting arrested and who are dealing with the police the most, 
I want them part of the conversation around how we should be policing ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, what are some of the issues we need to be thinking about dealing with and how we need to think about this very differently so that we can have a society that we all can be proud of where the police get home safe, the kids get home safe, everyone gets home safe, right? Um, I, you know, and, 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 but what should that even look like? What should be in the police's um, um, lane of responsibility and what should not? That's, you know, we should talk about that. And that's, but I want the right people talking about that, not the same old, same old people talking about that, who most, who in most cases are not impacted, right? It's like mm -hmm. people are talking in theory, like they're talking like, oh yeah, this is what it should look like, but they don't have any idea of what it feels like. So yeah. I'm, I'm definitely down to get some um, leaders from the community to come in and set up and, and, and do that talk. And my last question before we wrap, I know we pressed mm -hmm. on time because sure. in this fight against racism, you know, in my opinion, Racism will most likely always exist, but in this fight against injustice and um and racism, you know, there's different there's different uh, ways on how people choose to fight. You know, um, yes. I remember I, I marched and I protested for Eric Gardner, but I felt and um, I have you know going to do some marches for um, um this time around, but I realized that my role and everybody I've, I've been saying it on social media, you have to find your role. On what it looks like to fight and then i think there's the political way to fight i think it's the marching protesting and i also think it's like economics absolutely there's ways to donating and, and if you're going to be amplifying certain black voices no, no. um your opinion especially in the, in the political space and for our audience what are ways that we can fight through using our vote because um, what I wasn't always privy to is that, you know, you can vote for your DA, you can vote for certain oh, things yeah. or whatnot. What are some ways that we can use our vote to actually instill change to fight for injustice and fight for our communities and our people? I think there are a couple of positions that really, 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 really matter, okay? I believe the mayor of the city of New York really, 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 really matters, right? The mayor of the city of New York is the person who negotiates with the police unions to implement the contract that has in it use of force standards, all the issues that we deal with with cops, a lot of that is in a contract that is signed by the mayor and the police. So what is the agenda of the, of the mayor as it relates to the police? They, they pick the police commissioner, um, the police, the budget for the police is it's controlled by the mayor and the city council, but it's really, the mayor's where the real heavy, heavy, heavy hand is. That's number one. That's number, number one. Number two, the district attorneys, to your point. I mean, Manhattan, wherever there are people of color, you, you should care about who the district attorney is and what's their philosophy and policies and how they're going to prosecute or not prosecute crimes. What do they consider crimes worth their time? Um, you know, I know when um, Ken Thompson got elected in Brooklyn, uh, unfortunately he passed. He was doing stuff that we were like, whoa, that's some groundbreaking stuff, right? Oh, yeah, he and, got one of my warrants vacated. Yeah, and, and now I couldn't even imagine what a Ken Thompson, and by the way, that was before we got woke, right? He was woke before woke, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, for me, district attorneys matter a lot. The city council members matter a lot. Um, uh, you know, state, we matter um, but, I, you know, it, it, you know, it just depends on how, how much capacity and time. But if someone said to me, I got one race I need to focus on, Brian, what should it be? I will say mayor. If you say you got two races, I will say mayor and whoever your local DA is. I mean, that is just, 
That's where the action is. Now, that's just on elections, but I agree with your fundamental premise, which is that everyone's got different skills, right? For example, there's some people who are researchers, who are, who are thought leaders. They should be, I'd rather, them, I'd rather them be sitting around figuring out what should policy look like. I mean, it's great to have the march too, but like, I mean, that's great. If you, if you have the time for that, do it, but don't do that before you help us figure out policies and ideas and, 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 and researching what other cities are doing, like what other states are doing, other countries are doing. How are, other, how are we policing ourselves around the world? What's working, what's not working, how to, we need all of that. Because if guess what, if we don't do that, someone who's not impacted is gonna do that mm -hmm. and you don't know what you're gonna get, <laughs> okay? So for me, I think everyone should bring their passion and skill sets to what uh, they can specifically do because there's so much to be done. Um, we could all march, but at the end of the day, all we do is all march we just don't have people taking a lot of, you know, out there exercising, right? We need to have people who are doing different parts of this, of, of this, of this food chain, and uh, and 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 the only way we do that is if we do that together and everyone plays their role. To your point, man, I think it's, I think that's a very powerful thing, like you said. Incredible. Other thing, one last thing. We also need people to run for office. Okay. Mm. Right? Everyone says, oh, there ain't nobody running. Ain't nobody running. By the way. Every person over 18 has the, has the ability to run themselves, right? So there should never be a situation where you're telling me you don't, there's no, you don't, there ain't nobody good running because you could have ran. Someone who you could have inspired to run should have ran. So that therefore, that's how you, you are, you ingratiate yourself into the process. Don't make it talk about, oh, well, I don't like Biden. Well, why, why did Biden end up being the person? We had a, we had a point where there was choices. How did we get to him? We got to him because guess what? The people who were paying attention when decisions were being made with the choices went there, okay? Uh, so if, if you don't like anyone running, well then why, didn't, why wasn't there someone encouraged to run who you, could, who you could get down with? What's the timetable? What's the process? See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so if we end up always with candidates we don't like, that's because we're not participating. Whew. <laughs> uh, we ask all our guests this um, kind of a, a keystone question. What drives you? You know, what drives me is, I, I mentioned that earlier, I want the Black family to be strong. You know, mm. and a big part of the Black family being strong is politics. Uh, we are, you know, I grew up in a household where people would say, they did this, they did that, they did this, they did that. And I'm trying to figure out, well, who's the they? A lot of times the they are the, are the public officials, okay? So I said, you know what, let me go be that so I can be the they who's driving how all this thing works. And that's yeah. how I ended up um, being here. And that's, that's one of the things that drives me to this day is being a part of the decisions and the conversations, but coming at it from a lens of, I wanna protect and strengthen the black family because if you don't have a strong black family it's all over incredible incredible Love that. uh yeah, Senator, where can we find you um you know yeah. or any of your constituents if they're listening where can they find you like address email address all that good stuff oh yes absolutely well um i am in the state office building 163 west 125th street um suite 912 uh, our, my phone, our phone number here is 212-222-7315, Adam Clayton Powell, Junior State Office Building. Uh, we're open 
uh, from Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Anyone can, can stop by anytime. Um, you know, now we're out of session. I'm, I'm generally here, so I can say hello. But, you know, we help people with a range of issues. Whatever issues people have, we help. Or if you want to just come by and say hello, we're here for that, too. Yes, sir. Yeah, we definitely will. And you can we find me on my Instagram. By. Before I get in trouble, you can find me on my Instagram. And uh, at NY, at N-Y-S-E-N Benjamin. So at N-Y-S-E-N Benjamin. And on my, my Twitter's the same. And uh, Facebook is uh, Brian Benjamin. You can find me all, on all those platforms. Marvelous. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, man, we, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. Shout out to Giselle as well, too. Absolutely. Um, she's great. And um, yeah, man, we just appreciate it. And uh, uh, salute all the work you've been doing in the community. Um, voices like you are very important and significant for the movement and, and for communities all throughout New York and, and just the world. So yeah, man, we, we definitely appreciate what you do, bro. Appreciate you as well. Thank you, guys.